Amen, amen. So as we talk about faith for miracles, and I'm really excited how this is going to transition, and the word that God gave me for today, um, I'm now seeing how it's going to feed and, and transition all the way through this Christmas season as we continue talking about miracles, and specifically the miracle of Jesus Christ. Uh, well, the greatest miracle that ever happened is the miracle of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to continue this, but I'm, I'm really excited. But I have to admit to you that because of my type of personality, I have a very kind of a high performance personality. I want to earn. I want to work. I want to train. I want to perform. I want to push the envelope. And the reality is that there are times that my personal human side interferes with how I relate to God. And I go to God out of a human performance side. And often what that does is it puts me in a position where I don't feel worthy because I know I'm not doing so well in certain areas. And it puts me in a place where I don't feel confident with him. In fact, I can feel insecure with him. Have you ever felt insecure? Ever felt, ever felt insecure? Remember, remember being, a, being in school, some of you adults, and you, were, you had to get up in front of the class and, and write on the board or whatever, or answer, or read in public, and you were just afraid you were going to pronounce a word wrong, and someone's going to make fun of you for the rest of the year because you couldn't say statistics or something like that, and you messed it up. I mean, just you can be insecure so easily in life, Right? I mean, you can be insecure. Have you ever, ever been underdressed at an event you didn't understand and you showed up in flip-flops? Um, I actually showed up. Someone told me I was officiating a wedding and it was at the beach and they told me it was beach casual. So I showed up in linen, linen pants, linen shirt and open-toed sandals and it was not Okay. And, and it was embarrassing, but I just pretended I was Jesus, and I did the ceremony with sandals on. It was embarrassing. You could be under this. I, I remember um, Jennifer's uh, stepdad managed country clubs, and so I remember going to the country club, and we were early 20s and broke, and, and I had this Mitsubishi that was just a piece of junk, man. It had bumper damage and duct tape on it. It was just a piece of junk, and I remember pulling up to like Christmas or whatever at the country club and being in the line with the Porsches and the Mercedes and the BMWs and the fancy cars, and I'm hopping out of the valet, embarrassed, tossing my keys, hoping they just keep it, you know? And, and, and I remembered something one time I was walking into the club, uh, Chad, and, and I thought, you know what? My old girl's paid for. I wonder how many of these people are paying a mortgage on their car right now. My, it, might, it might be a little ugly, but it's paid for, and it made me feel a little bit more secure about my piece of junk Mitsubishi back in the day, right? But we can find ourselves in places where, where we are not very secure. When it comes to relationship, that can happen as well, and specifically when it comes to relationship with God. I'm going to drive up on Tuesday and pick up my parents, Ken and Jean Scribner, and bring them down here for Thanksgiving. Man, we got it. We're doing a Cajun fried turkey for Thanksgiving. Come on, Jesus. Man, I'm talking the whole Cajun thing, crab cakes and spicy stuff and whatever, and it's going to be awesome. And, and, and I'm so excited about it. 
um, but I'm going to go pick up my folks and bring them down. And, and I think about that. When I, when I think about relationship with God, I think about the relationship I have with my parents. My parents aren't perfect in any, any stretch of the, of, of the word, but they're good parents. And I know my parents. And I know if my dad says, Joel, I'm going to do this, I know that's what he's going to do. If my mom says, Joel, this is how I feel about this, I know she's telling me the truth because I've got 50 years of relationship and I've spent a lot of time with them and I know my parents, so I know their character and I know the relationship and I have absolute confidence and trust and security and faith in anything that they tell me because I know them. Now, if you come next Sunday, you might get a chance to meet them because they'll be in town and then I'll take them home afterwards and whatever. But even if you meet them, you don't know them. All you know is what I've told you about them. You don't know them. And as I sought God this week, I began to have a revelation and God began to speak to me in a manner and one of the things that he put in my spirit to share with you is a question, do you really know him or do you only know about him? Because someone's told you or you've read, but, but do you actually know him? And that's not a question for any condemnation or judgment or anything. It's a question I hope to provoke a hunger inside of you because the confidence I have with my parents, when Jesus told stories in the Bible, he used illustrations and he always used illustrations of something that was natural and normal in our everyday life. And they would give that illustration and say, and that's what the father is like, or that's what the kingdom of heaven is like. So he would talk about business or he would talk about farming, or he would talk about the sparrows or the flowers or the ocean or whatever. And he would say, and that's what the kingdom is like. Listen, there's a reason that Jesus, Jesus expressed the heavenly father to us in that manner because all of us have relationships and all of us know what a father is or what a mother is. Now, the sad reality is some of us have had negative experiences with parents and a negative experience with parents can make it to where you project a negative persona on God that's simply not true. Because no matter how good your human parents are, God is better. And no matter how bad your parents may have been, at least God used them to get you here so you could now have a relationship with him. He's the greatest father there is. But he'll use the common sense of human relationship to teach you how to express yourself and build a heavenly relationship. See, if we're not careful, we can fall into the same trap that every other religion does. And that's living our lives with zero assurance of our heavenly reward. And instead of walking through life with confidence, we walk through life in a performance manner trying to earn our way to him. If you could earn your way to him... You wouldn't need faith and you wouldn't have needed the sacrifice of Jesus. Can I tell you if it's about earning our way, the Mormons win. They're the nicest people you've ever met in your life. They tithe 20%. 
They ride bicycles in August with short sleeve t-shirts or shirts on with a tie to go around and tell people about God. When's the last time you loved God that much? The average Christian gives less than 3%. What would happen? See, the reason they do that is because they have no assurance. They're earning their way. Wonderful people. But in their religious system, they have to earn. They have to work. It's another religion. It's the opposite of what Jesus brought to us. What we have is the opportunity for relationship where you don't earn it. You receive it as a child and you embrace your heavenly father and you're accepted simply because of what you believe about Jesus and anything you do is a response to his love, not for what you can try to earn from him. But it doesn't matter what denomination. I grew up in the Pentecostal denominations. My goodness, it can get all about rules, regulations, religion. Lutheran, Methodist, Baptist, Presbyterian, it doesn't matter. If we're not careful, we miss the whole point. And then we're no different than a Buddhist or a Jehovah Witness or anybody else who's trying to earn their way through their works instead of knowing God. So I'm going to read to you what the Lord said to me. But I want to share a quick story with you because there was a moment in my life where I found myself in a little bit of a faith crisis. And it was the moment, last night we picked up Sydney. She has been off at college in Virginia for the last uh, three months or so. And she flew in last night. We got home around midnight and she flew in and she's got some kind of little head cold. I think she's watching online right now and Jen's taking care of her. Uh, but we got to get her healed up. We can't send her back sick. So um, anyway, it was just so good to see her and hug her. And, and I just had this, this, this revelation of how much I love my baby girl. You know, I didn't ask her about her grades. I just wanted to hug her. I, I, I didn't, do, I, do I care about what's going on? Oh, yeah. But if she's got a bad grade right now, I don't care right now. We'll sort that out later. I just wanted to hug her. How much more? Your heavenly father. So I remember when she was born, and we were, man, we were early. I mean, we were young, and I was a beginning. In fact, I, I was really young into being a youth pastor, and I don't know if you know this or not, but people don't go into being youth pastors to make money. You don't make a lot of money. It's kind of a thing where you're, you're choosing. Yesterday in the car, uh, we were talking to Blakely, one of her buddies' dads doing a business deal, and Jennifer said, yeah, once he closes this business deal, he'll never have to work again. And Blakely's like, why couldn't you guys have done something like that? I'm like, thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. But it's not about earning. So Sydney, when she was born, she was born into debt. 
See, our insurance company, she's born in January. She's about to turn 20 next in a couple months. And when she was born, our insurance, because it was a brand new year, we had our, had our deductible already met and paid. But then Sydney was taking her sweet time, and, and she had a couple more weeks in the oven. So the deductible runs out. We have to start all the way over with a brand new deductible. But not only were we starting over with a new deductible, we were starting over with a whole new policy. And that year, the policy shifted something in the fine print, and not only did we have a deductible for Jennifer, but we found out and we'd been preparing and saving and wrapping our brain around that. And we knew what our max out of pocket was and it was thousands of dollars and Jen was cutting hair and I was a youth pastor and, and it wasn't where we didn't have a lot of excess. It was really working and planning and strategizing and all that kind of stuff. And, and all of a sudden the insurance let us know that as Blakely was being born, that as soon as she was born, she had her own deductible and her own out of pocket Oh, I love insurance companies so much, don't you? Just love them. Just keep taking that money and don't want to ever give it back, right? I love insurance people, just not the companies that represent them sometimes. But I remember being in a faith crisis and, 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 and just struggling because we'd done everything and everything was about what we had planned and what we had prepared. And I was just at a loss at that time couldn't wrap my brain around it because it was messing with my faith and I was insecure in the provision of God. And in those days, I was really dealing with, uh, and I still, guys, honestly, I still do. I have, as I'm talking about miracles and as I'm studying all this stuff out, I'm dealing with things in myself going, you know, am is this about my performance? Do miracles, if I was holier, if I fasted more, if I abstained more, if I, if I obeyed better, if I, did, if, if I just did better, would I see more miracles? And the Lord grabbed a hold of me this week because here I am, 35 years into my spiritual journey of really seeking to know God. And I'm still dealing with the performance mentality. I'm still dealing with a mindset of trying to earn something from God. I may not be riding a bicycle in August, but I'm dealing with the same thing in my heart. If I just did more, would God maybe do more? And I had an amazing time with him. I want to share my journal entry with you today. And I do this very um, delicately because... Uh, this is really private to me. And I want to just share, uh, when, when, when my daughter was, was, was diagnosed with and dying of brain cancer, I, was, I became very desperate to hear the voice of God. And I had just started this practice in my life of journaling or documenting my prayers. And I began to ask God to speak with me because I was so lost. I was so in the dark. I was so blinded by the tragedy of, of battling through a fatal and terminal brain tumor that I desperately needed something more than just a religion or an experience that I could have through a book. I needed to encounter the living God. And I started a habit where I would document my prayers I would write out all of my prayers, all of my feelings, all of my emotions. It was like a cathartic 
discipline that I would just express. And in my head, I'm like, I know he already knows this. He knows everything. But for me, it was just, it was just healing to get it out. It was therapeutic to get it out. And I began, because I had a mentor that, that taught me this. He said, look, when you write your prayers or when you journal, make it a love letter to God. Write a love letter to him and then ask him to respond and wait until he does. And I was just young enough and dumb enough and, and, and crazy enough to believe that. And so I began to practice that. It's been over 20 years now. And 22 years now I've been practicing this. I've got stacks of journals this tall. And in the beginning, I would sit there and I'd write and I'd ask God to speak with me and I would sit there and wait. And, and all of a sudden, a, a, a word would pop in my head. And if I had the guts to say that word out loud, I'd hear another one speaking to me from the inside. If I had the guts to write that word down, another one would flow. And, and in the beginning, it was, it was just a couple of words or maybe one phrase or then a sentence and, and then a paragraph. And as the years went on, I got better and better and better at hearing him and connecting to him. And it moved into a place where I began to have encounters with God where I would be dead asleep and I would wake up at three in the morning, actually 3.33. Have you ever had that experience? On the nose, 3.33. What is up with that number? I don't know, but God is three and one and there's three, three. I don't know, something funny about 3.33 in the morning. And, and I would wake up and have these encounters and I would hear in my spirit, I would hear, get up, I wanna talk to you. And what started as a word or a sentence turned into pages of God speaking to me. And I knew that the Bible said that you're supposed to test prophecy. And, and the way you test prophecy is you take what you believe that God is speaking and you measure it against what you know that he's already said. So I could go back for 4,000, 6,000 years of human experience that's documented inside of the Bible, and I could, I could take what I feel like I'm hearing, and I could look, is this the type of thing my father would say? Well, he said this to this person, he said that to that person, that sounds like the same voice. God won't contradict himself by saying something many occult has happened because of some whack job thinking they heard God, but it didn't measure up with what God actually has already said. So the Bible says we test prophecy. What it says, you measure it against the scriptures. You measure it against what you know he's already said. So I begin to do that. And if there was ever a time where I was writing something that got off, I would scratch it out because that can't be him, because it's, it's, it's contradicting who I know he is. But what happened is the Bible gave me a platform for knowing the voice of God so that the voice that now I was hearing from the inside, I instantly would know that's the same voice. Interesting that Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and they will not follow a stranger. And God began to ask me in that season this question, are you my sheep or not? Because I was arguing with him going, uh, God, I, I don't know that this is you. This is me just making it up. Maybe I had spicy pepperoni last night. I'm having weird Jesus dreams. He's like, do, do you hear my voice or not? Are you my sheep or not? And that's how he would, and, and I would say, yes, I'm your sheep. And he'd say, then do what I've told you to do. So here I am 20 plus years into this journey. And I'm going to read this to you because in the middle of what I was dealing with this week, God spoke to me. 
And he gave me a, res- a resolution and he gave me a revelation that I really believe with all my heart has the potential to change your life forever. And I'm going to read it to you and you're not going to remember it, but if you would like a copy of this, we can make that available. You can just email info at oakschurch.com and we can get you a copy of it. I'm happy to share with, uh, with you. And I believe that when he spoke this to me, I believe that he spoke it for you. This is what he said to me. He said, I am your confidence, not your works, not your obedience, not your compliance. I am your security. All of your part is supplementary. The number one thing is knowing me and knowing my will. Know God. Know me. Gnosis is the Greek word for knowledge. My people die for a lack of knowledge. Know me. This is how you have confidence. This is how you have security. Know me. The more you know me, the more confident you are in what I want. Then the more confident you are in what I want you to do. Yes, there is a practical confidence that is developed as a result of replication of applied knowledge, a.k.a. prophecy, or pardon me, a.k.a. practice, applied knowledge, practice. But true confidence starts in me. When you focus on earning instead of knowing, you fail, and your own heart condemns you. When you focus on knowing me, you become convinced and fully persuaded of my unconditional love and acceptance of my children. Then you are confident in me alone. Then your actions and obedience are out of pure love and gratitude, not obligation or compliance. I only want you to do because it's good for you. I'm good anyway. And always, doing is for you, not for me. When you do, it benefits you. I just want you to be with me. The more time you spend just being with me, the more convinced you will become of my goodness expressed toward you in demonstrations of my power. Miracles are an expression of my goodness and love. I do because I am love. I want you to do out of security and your knowledge of me, not out of insecurity and wanting to please me or not knowing if you do please me. Just be in me. Know me. Rest in that. Miracles happen because I love. The more someone has a deeper revelation of my love, the greater conduit they are for the release of those miracles. Love is who I am. Love is what I do. I am, therefore, I do. Not, I do, therefore, I am. Humans approach life in this backwards way. Get a revelation of who I am in you, 
then do accordingly. There's a whole lot in there. I'm not smart enough to make that stuff up. I'm not educated enough to make that stuff up. I got three whole years at junior college. And then I was a guy that beat people up for a living. And God picked somebody. He says that he chooses the foolish (laughs) to confound the wise. Mission accomplished here. Academics, uh, school was a social experiment for me. If you'll make knowing him a priority, there's no limit to what he can do through you. Faith for miracles is the result of truly knowing God. Truly knowing God. See, there's a big, a very close connection between faith and confidence. Uh, when, I, when I tore my hamstring, I, I called a doctor friend of mine, and he said, you're probably going to want to get an MRI. Because if you tore your hamstring tendon off of your pelvis bone or off of your knee, then you're going to have to have surgery. So I went and got checked out, and luckily, thankfully, in Jesus' name, it was a tear in the middle of the belly of the muscle, and the tendons that connect in are fine, so it might be six or eight weeks of recovery and gentle stretching and gentle resistance, and it'll heal on its own, thank God. But if I were to go have surgery, if that is what I would need, I want to go to a surgeon that has tremendous confidence in his ability because he knows what he's doing and he's done it a thousand times. I don't want to go to a surgeon that went to Texas A&M vet school and is figuring that, man, he's done this on pigs and dogs, reckon it's pretty close to the same. It's, I mean, it's a muscle, fix it. I'd rather have someone that's actually done it a few hundred times or more. But confidence comes from knowing. Why is a surgeon confident? Because he spent so many hours, four years of medical school, what, three years of, 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 of or, I'm sorry, four years of college and another three or four years of medical school, then a residency, then all the different stuff. By the time you're finally a surgeon, what are you, 12 years, 15 years in? I don't know, a long time. And then you're just, but, but then after you now have been in this career for five or 10 years, you've got decades of knowledge because you've been in the presence of that and you've been, you've, you've been soaking it in. You, you have confidence because you've spent time. Most of the things I'm insecure about, like putting on the golf course, like hitting over the water, between trees on the golf course, I'm not very confident of where my ball's gonna go. And if somebody, listen, if you want me to miss the putt, tell me you'll give me $10 if it goes in. I will miss every time. Because now you put more pressure on me and I haven't been practicing. Just there for the good time. But when it's something you practice, you practice, you practice, what am I talking about? I'm talking about practicing the presence 
of God. See, this, this whole thing for me happened when I had a revelation. I was a, I was a professional martial artist. I, I was a businessman. I owned a studio in Plano. We had about 400 students. I was on the USA team. I'm traveling the world. I'm fighting some of the toughest dudes around the world. I'm living my dream, living my childhood dream. We're in the middle of about to franchise and all kinds of stuff. It was going amazing in my life. And, and, and I was in this place of just really digging in deep. I'm a business guy. I'm not a ministry guy. I'd sworn I would never do ministry. I'd never be a pastor. I'm, I'm going to be a Christian businessman. That's what I'm going to be. And God gave me this revelation of, of tithing, but not just tithing money. That's the easy part. That's the entry point. That's, that's, that's the kindergarten part. If you can't get past the idea of giving God 10% simply because he loves you and everything you have belongs to him. If you can't get past that idea, Jesus said, how can you ever understand the deep things of God? How can you understand the great things of the kingdom if you can't understand this part? Because it's not, it's, it, listen, it, it's, it's, it's not a battle of God versus the devil. It's about for your heart, the battle for your heart. Jesus said it's between God and money. So the financial tithing piece, that's the easiest piece. What the Lord gave me a revelation of was tithing my life. Specifically, the time I'm awake. If I'm awake for 16 hours, I get eight solid hours of sleep. Praise Jesus if you ever get that, amen? If I get eight hours of sleep, that gives me 16 hours of awake time. Let's call that 1.6 hours of that belong to God. When I got that revelation... As a businessman in the city, and everything in my life became the first hour and a half of my day belongs to the king. And I'm going to sit before him, and I'm going to open my prayer journal, and I'm going to read my Bible, and I'm going to put worship music on. Listen, you can come into a place like this on Sunday, and Josh and the team, they're stinking world class. And you could have all kinds of hell breaking loose in your life, but you come in this environment, and it just melts off of you and your worship, and you forgot that when you leave this place, you still have debt. And when you leave this place, there's still a problem. But when you're in here, it's just this amazing, his presence, the, the joy of the Lord is our strength, and in his presence there's fullness of joy but what happens is that if this is only on Sunday and somebody else is baby bird feeding you all of your spiritual nourishment just ah, second hand second hand food y'all second hand worship the worship Josh worships because he loves God he worships more at home than he does here I don't want to have a baby bird relationship where everything spiritual I get and I'm just ah, waiting for someone else ah, to chew it up for my little baby, no teeth, baby beak having self. I want to know him. I want to know him. So I set out on this thing and, and, and starting at 17 was my journey. It started at 17. I'm like, God, this has to be real. You got to talk to me. I read about... Bible characters that you encountered them. If this is going to be, this has to be real. You have to encounter me. I want to, I want to be like that little Samuel that says, speak Lord, your servant is listening. I want to encounter you. Just a teenager, hungry, 
starting out my career, starting out my college years, being late to class in college because I'm spending an hour and a half just enraptured in his presence, changed my life forever. It was in the tithe of my time creating an atmosphere for his presence on a daily basis. I'm running late to class because I'm so caught up in the presence of God as a teenager, as a 20-somethings. That's where this was cultivated. Do you know him? Or do you just know about him? Because once you really learn, I'm telling you, listen, if I can have this, you can have this. I'm just a kid from Broken Arrow. Just a regular guy. I'm a regular guy with an irregular habit. I have an irregular habit. The number one addiction in my life is I have to hear him again. I got to hear him again. I gotta encounter him again. It's never enough. I want more of him. I love um, looking at this, the teachings of Jesus and Jesus talking. We talked over the last few weeks about that mustard seed faith, that faith like a mustard seed. Jesus would say, why do you have no faith? Or why is your faith so small? How do you have so little faith? If you just had faith like a mustard seed, you could speak to the mountain and cast into the sea. And, and we've always thought of that as the mustard seed being about how tiny the seed is. And, and the mustard seed is small, but it's not actually the smallest of all seeds. I got to have dinner with a rabbi one time, and he was, his last name was Cohen. And Cohen is one of the Levitical names. His family lineage traces back to the, to the Levites, the actual Le- Levitical tribe of people in, in the Jewish uh, nation. And he was explaining to me from the Jewish, he was a Jew that grew up fully Jewish and then had a revelation of Jesus and, and became a Jesus follower that was from this rabbinical line. And so as he studied scripture, he would study it from a Jewish perspective. And what he told me was that the mustard seed wasn't necessarily about how small it was. It was that it was a seed that in their day, in this ancient day, was so small and so dense that it could not be cut in half. It could not be divided. It was single. It was dense. It was determined. It was stubborn. You can crush mustard seeds and make a magical thing that God created. Thank you, Jesus, for making mustard, right? Oh my gosh, I love mustard. But, but, but you can't. Now in modern day, there's probably have devices that you can cut one into, but in Jesus' day, you couldn't. It was about having faith that's indivisible, it's undivided. It's singular. It's not double-minded. It's not unstable. This is what I believe. We've talked about in this journey that I know God is able. I know that he will. But even if he doesn't, I'll never bow. I'll still believe. I'm undivided. I know that he's good. Even when bad things happen, I know that he's good and I'll never bow down. I'll never back away. I'll never back away. See, when I was battling through the, the death of my daughter, um, I, I, I knew God was real. I knew that he was true. I knew that he was good. I just knew it. 
I'd experienced too much. I'd seen too much. Even though now I was walking through something horrific, I'd seen too much. I can't go back. Did I backslide at times? Yeah. Did I mess up at times? Yeah. Did I, did I fall off the wagon and act like an idiot? Some, yeah. Was I angry? Yeah. Am I still sometimes? Yeah. But I can't go back. I've seen too much. My faith is indivisible. God is looking for indivisible faith. I want to show you another place where Jesus talked about this mustard seed faith. And and I want to read you a passage that I've never paid attention to before. And it's really a strange little passage that doesn't seem like it makes much sense. And it doesn't seem like it fits into into this topic. This is Luke chapter 17, verse 5. The apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. Give us more faith. More, more, more. Bigger faith. Bigger faith. More, more, more. So the Lord said, if you have faith like a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the seed, and it would obey you. It's not about more. It's not about bigger. It's about density. It's about indivisibility. It's about knowing. Oh, there's a difference between thinking, hoping, and knowing. Watch what Jesus says next. It doesn't seem to have any connection to the subject. It's so so confusing. I had to spend a lot of time looking at commentaries and seeing what other people had discovered and, and then really praying through this to understand what Jesus was talking about. He's talking about faith like a mustard seed, Say to a mulberry tree, pull it up, cast it, plant it in the sea, and it will obey you. Watch this. And which of you, if you have a servant plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he is coming from the field, come at once and sit down to eat? But will he not rather say to him, prepare something for my supper and gird yourself up and serve me till I have eaten and drunk, and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded to him? I think not. So likewise, you, when you have done all those things which are commanded, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. What is that about? Jesus is giving them, in regards to faith, a very common sense illustration for their culture in that day. In the day of Jesus, 25% of the world owned 75% of the world. 75% of the world were servants or slaves. Imagine that. When you read through the Bible, there wasn't a whole lot in the Bible, in the New Testament, about any hope for slaves being set free. The instructions to slaves were be good slaves. Honor your master, honor the king. The instruction to slave owners was be a kind and loving owner. We're all wrapped up in our country about our founding fathers and all this kind of stuff. And the, they were confused people that were just living in the revelation that they had at the time. But thank God for the revelation of Jesus Christ that permeated out into the world that there is no longer slave or free, Jew or Greek, male or female, but we are all one in Christ Jesus. If it wasn't for the revelation of Jesus Christ, 
we'd still have the same problem going on in our world, in our nation today. Do we have problems? Yes, we do. Are they the same problems? No, they're not. It's different now. The freedom of Jesus Christ has equaled the playing field. And if you have a revelation of Jesus Christ, you understand it doesn't matter what anyone else says or thinks about you. It doesn't matter if they stand in your way. It doesn't matter if they get before you. It doesn't matter if they tell you you can't. You have a Jesus that says you can. He's your identity, not your color, not your race, not your history, not your genealogy. Jesus is your identity. No one holds you back. God is for you. Who can be against you? No one holds you back. No political party. No wealthy anybody. No one can stop what God wants to do inside of you. Come on, get a revelation in your life right now. No one can stop what God wants to do inside of you. If you believe, nothing is impossible. Doesn't matter where you start. Matters the trust and the faith and the confidence that you have. And you will not be denied. You're going to take the territory that God has for you. You're going to walk in the fullness of everything that he's put in for and before you. You're going to be who God's called you to be. Do you believe this stuff or not? Come on, I want to throw something. Sorry, that's, none of that's in my notes. I don't know where that came from. I don't know where that came from. A little fired up, fired up, kicking stuff around over here. Oh. Come on, why do we care what so many people think or say about us? You are not limited by anybody else's opinions, only Jesus's, only what he says. So Jesus is speaking in this passage. He's like, look, y'all have servants or you are a servant. You either have them or you are one. That's our culture. So if you have servants, do you, do you go cook dinner for them? Nah. They work for you. Doesn't matter how tired they are. They work for you. Jesus is saying this faith thing is common sense. And if you're a servant... You do what you're supposed to do because the master told you. Does he owe you anything? No. You're an unprofitable servant. You're just doing your duties. It's common sense. Common sense is how faith works. When you know him, it's just common sense. When you know him, it's not a stretch. When you know him, you don't have to muster anything up. When you know him, it's like, this is just what he said. It's no different than me knowing my parents. This is what he said. This is what he's doing. This is what he's up to. If my dad says this, it's happening. Period. If my father says this, it's happening. Period. If it doesn't happen, he's still good, and he knows something I don't know, but I still believe, and I'm not going to bow. Period. Faith has to become like common sense. When I threw this bottle up in the air, I didn't know where it was going to go, but I knew it was coming down. How do I know that? It's called the law of gravity. The law of gravity. There's also the law of thermodynamics. There's also the laws of planetary motion. There's also different things like that. You know what there also is in science? Theories. The Big Bang is not a law. It's a theory. We think maybe a bang happened and it was big. Maybe it did. Maybe God said, let there be light. Big bang. I don't know. 
but we think, we don't know. Now, according to the word of God, we know because God's word is true. We know exactly what happened, but science is limited. You know what else is a theory? Evolution. It's not a law of science. It's a theory of science. It's a guess. Let me tell you what it is. It's a religion. Atheism is a religion. That's all it is. You take God out of it, call it science, but it's a religion. There's no proof. It's a theory. What you have to do is you have to know your father so much so that you understand that his word is the law of the universe. It's the law of creation. And just like I knew that bottle's coming down, when God says something, he says, I send my word forth into the earth and it will accomplish what I set it forth to do. It will not return to me void. Like the, like the water comes down from the sky in rain and snow and goes through the world waterworks of the earth and is evaporated back up into the heavens and comes down then again, so shall my word be. That's what the Father said. And when you know him, you know that his law, his word is gold. It's good. It never fails. He'll never let you down. No thing God has ever said will ever fail. You've got to know him. You've got to know him. You've got to know him. Paul used this phrase all the time. I'll, I'll, we'll close with this. He used this phrase all the time. He says, I know and I am fully persuaded. He said that I am fully persuaded. When he spoke in Romans 4, Paul spoke of, the, uh, uh, of Abraham, the father of our faith. He said, Abraham being fully persuaded that the God of the promise was able and would fulfill his promise, went forth and obeyed, and God credited it to him as righteousness. It says he was fully persuaded. When I looked that word up in the Greek, it's the word pleroforeo. Pleroforeo. It means to be made full. Oh, to be made full. To be made full. It comes from two words. Make, or pardon me, full, from full, and the word for to wear, like a garment, like clothes. Interesting that salvation is called a garment. The robes of righteousness, the garments of salvation. Interesting that it says that we are to put on Christ Jesus like a garment. That you have been given the mind of Christ. When you spend enough time with God, you will be made full of him. Listen, all of us are full of something. We're full of something. You can be fully persuaded, fully persuaded, made full, but it's going to come down to this. How bad do you want it? Joel, you don't know what my schedule's like. You don't know how busy things are. You know, yes, I do. You got 24 hours just like everybody else. Joel, how could you possibly expect, you were a college kid when you started spending an hour and a half with God. How could you possibly, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was a business owner too, and I still did it. Why? Because it was more important to be with him than anything else. 
if your greatest business hero, if your greatest mentor for whatever you're interested in told you, hey, I'll come and sit with you every day. Give me an hour and a half of your morning. I'll teach you every single thing you need to know. I'll teach you everything I know. Your greatest mentor, Steve Jobs, Elon Musk, I don't know who you think is smart or brilliant or whatever, John Maxwell, somebody that's just brilliant. They know if they told you, I'll sit with you every day. I'll give you an hour and a half. I'll teach you everything. Block out your calendar. You do it. You'd been heaven and earth to do it. How much more the creator of the universe? How much more the creator of the universe who taught John, who taught Elon, who taught Steve or whoever those people that are so-called smart people? Do they have the mind of Christ? Some of them might. It's the foolish things of God that confound the wisdom of man. I'm living proof of that. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, just close your eyes for a second. I, I, got, this, I got this feeling in my heart. We're going to worship here for just a second. And I, but I got, the, I got this feeling in my heart that there's some people when I'm asking, do you know him? Do you know him? Or do you, do you just know of him? Have you just heard about him? Or do you know him? I got this feeling that there's people in here today that really, they want to move beyond knowing of him or knowing about him. And you actually want to move into knowing him, knowing him, knowing him. Because when you know him, he fills you with confidence. You become fully persuaded. You become made full of his love. And miracles become common sense to you. Faith becomes like common sense to you. It's just how it is. Because he's just that good. He is love. So he does good. He is love. So he does miracles. And if that's you and you're in a place, I'm going to ask you to do something gutsy. I'm going to ask you to stand up just right where you are. I'm not going to do anything else. Just stand up. If you're like, Joel, I want to know him. I want to move beyond knowing of him, and I want to know him. If that's you right now, just stand up to your feet. Don't care what anybody else thinks. Don't care what anybody else says. You're wanting to move beyond the ordinary and move into the extraordinary today. I want to know him. Move beyond the regular and determine to have an irregular habit. I want to know him. Come on, don't be shy. Stand to your feet. I want to know him. I want to know him. I want to know him. Come on, just lift your hands wherever you are. Say that. Say, I want to know you, Father. I don't care what anybody thinks. I want to know you. I want revelation. I want to hear your voice. I want to cultivate a conversational relationship with you. I want to know you. I want to know the God of miracles. I want to know the God of the supernatural. In Jesus' name, I receive you, Father. I receive you, Father. I receive you, Father. Come on, I believe that the God of miracles is here right now in this room with us right now. You need a miracle in your life. Stand to your feet and join these others. You need a miracle in your finance. You need a miracle in your relationships. You need a miracle in your health or for someone else you're believing for. You need a miracle in your life any way, shape, or form. Come on, stand to your feet right now. Lift your hands up right now. The God of miracles is in this room. Father, in the name of Jesus, send forth your word to heal. Father, you are the miraculous God. It's just who you are. It's just what you do. It's just who you are. 
It's just what you do. You are love. You are love. You are good. It's the goodness of God that draws us to repentance. Father, right now, release your power in this place. Supernatural healing. Right now in this room and watching online, supernatural healing. Right now, people's hearts breaking. Their hearts breaking in repentance for how they've treated someone, how they've held walls and rejection and they've kept people out. Hearts are breaking. Hearts are softening. Miracles and hearts. People that would never say sorry. Your heart is being softened. People that would never repent. Your heart is being softened right now. A miracle right now in your heart. And God is restoring you. He's building your faith. He's drawing you in right now. Miracle. An idea is coming to you. A supernatural idea that God is going to give you to change the course of your future. To change the course of how you do business. A supernatural revelation of how to love someone and restore relationship right now. His word is being released to you. He knows you and you're going to know him. He's drawing you in. The God of miracles. The God of miracles. Come on, let's worship him. Let's worship him. Let's worship him.